0: Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, why don't you go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We certainly wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the country and all around town. Even all around the world with the right code. There you go. You want to get up early enough to do it or late enough to do it? There you go. You go ahead and give us a call. (laughs) We always enjoy hearing from folks. You know, we get a lot of email, which lets us know that there are folks out there who listen mm-hmm. regularly. And they, questions and all, always invite it and all. But when you put it on the radio, put it on the air, it just, everybody can enjoy it. Sure. And a lot of times you may say something that will spark a question in someone else's mind that they'd been wondering about for a long period of time and just never thought about it or never thought about it at times. Right. So that's how it works. You know, that's open discussion, kind of like a little forum. Sure. On the air, if okay. you will. I can I, I understand that. <laughs> I thought we would talk a little bit today about climate control systems in vehicles. Okay. Because that is a, I'm not going to say new, but new-ish technology. Well, and, and today's. That was always around. Yeah, today's technology and everything, it's more of a necessity to most people now. Well, it's a standard feature, standard equipment on every car. And what we're right. talking about, of course, is heaters. Right. Mostly. And air conditioning, I guess, could come under the same heading. But primarily heaters, since the weather is cold around most of the country and supposed to get a lot colder next week. Right. And a lot of times what folks will do is they more or less take their heater for granted. They just, it all summer long, they never give it a thought, never give it a second thought. And then the first cool day, they reach over and they turn that knob down a little bit and expect a nice blast of warm air. And they don't get it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just doesn't come out. It just either (laughs) stays cold or does nothing at all. Right. Whatever. And, of course, that is unpleasant at best. Well, if you're cold and you want to get warm, it is very unpleasant. Very unpleasant. (laughs) Depending on how cold it is. And, you know, there was a time when heaters were not standard equipment. That's right. It was an option. Yeah. Not that long ago. I know in the 1950s, I had a 55 Chevrolet, a 150 coupe, which is what they call a businessman's coupe, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a little stripped-down model. It came without a heater. I know. And if you wanted a heater, you could order the car with a heater or the dealer could normally could install, install it one. or a shop could install it for you or whatever. But they did not come automatically with a heater. Right. And I guess the reasoning there is at that time, people just didn't drive like they do now. You didn't have an interstate system. Average car... At sixty thousand miles war slam out and it took years to get to sixty thousand miles. Oh yeah, it's not like today. Today yeah. sixty thousand miles on nothing. a three year old car is nothing. Oh yeah, I've seen people put six thousand miles in a year. I, I have off. so we are in our cars a whole lot more and for much longer periods of time. So things like heat and climate control become much more important to us. Sure. Because if you only drove three, yeah. four thousand miles a year, yeah. and four, half, at least half at of in was summertime. You maybe just threw a blanket over your legs and <laughs> well, yeah. what about to build this. Exactly. Let's take a few of these phone calls. We've got CJ online. Good morning, CJ. Uh,
1: good morning. How are you, fellas, today? Doing, Doing great, great, sir. I have a question, not for me, but my, for my son. He sure. called me to ask an expert question. So I said, well, let me ask the expert here. He has two cars. One of them has about 120,000 miles on it. So he's not trying to use that one as much as the first car. But. He changed it, it this is regarding his oil change. Mm-hmm. He changed the oil in the one vehicle that he used the least in September. Okay. He only has six hundred miles on it. Okay. On this oil change. And he's concerned, he said, Okay, sh and I'm changing the oil in the other car. Should I change the oil with the one with six hundred miles? I said, I don't know. He only travels five miles a day to and from work. Mm-hmm. And he only has six hundred miles on it. So mm-hmm. What would you recommend on a, a vehicle like this
0: for an oil change? CJ, that is an extreme, extreme condition for a vehicle. That is the worst possible use a vehicle can receive are those little short trips and a lot of sitting. So the oil is going to deplete much, much, much faster than when he was using it regularly and also much faster than his other vehicle. I would not under any circumstances go more than six months on an oil change, regardless of the miles. I would not even look at the miles. With that would, kind of use. Yeah, with that kind of use, certainly every six months would be the minimum I would change that all, And I might even would, could, uh, recommend synthetic oil for him because you're under extreme conditions. See, the engine starts, it starts to warm up, then you cut it off and it cools down, and moisture condenses in the crankcase. Well, the oil has dispersant, which is going to try to absorb this moisture because that's what oil does. And after just a short measure of time, that all is so full of moisture that it becomes acidic and starts attacking all the metal parts in the car. The problem with moisture in all is it's a liquid, so it goes right through the filter. The filter has no effect. The only way to get that water out of the oil is, one, a drain and fill, or two, if you operate for long enough periods of time, the oil will get up to about 275 degrees after you drive it about a half hour to an hour if you hold that temperature for a long enough period, the moisture will start to boil, it'll turn to steam, it rises up, and the PC system will suck it out. But that takes several hours of driving. Yeah. So if these little short trips like he's doing, his oil is so extremely contaminated, he's doing himself a real disservice not to change that oil. And I don't know, if with 600 miles and that long a period, I don't know if I wouldn't even change every three months.
1: Let me ask you this question. You mentioned going to a synthetic oil. Mm-hmm. Being that he has relatively high mileage on it how would that affect you know you i remember you saying uh, stick to the same oil
0: right you want to stay with the same brand of all for instance if he's using exxon Mobil, then go to mobile synthetic or if he's using whatever brand stay with the same brand of all yeah but it really really wouldn't be a problem other than what i would recommend to him the first oil change go ahead and change it all over if you can put your synthetic in there change the filter after about maybe halfway through in other words, you don't have to change all again just go in take the filter off put a new filter on and then run it out the remainder to top it off because what's going to happen that synthetic is going to get in there it's gonna start cleaning up things that were never cleaned up before and so it's going to produce a lot of debris and you could you could theoretically plug the filter up if you know you just threw a filter on there and went out for a long period of time with there it. is a bypass in that filter so when that filter gets to a certain point where it can't take any more trash out the system the oil starts bypassing the filter to keep the oil circulating in the engine but you're getting unfiltered oil now into all the components right so probably change the filter yeah. maybe halfway through the cycle the first time only you don't have to do that every time but after the first time then you're good to go you you can just stay with the synthetic i mean we'll okay, just give well, it more protection
1: i appreciate the information and i will pass this on to him all right, all Jay, right. Sir. you fellas have a good day great Thank thanks man you. bye-bye you're welcome bye-bye
0: all right, let's see. We got all our lines lit up. Uh, we got Emanie. Good morning, Emanie.
1: Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing sir. Great. All right, if you got feel like you got multiple cars, how often should you crank them? And like I know you say, the marks are getting all and stuff. And I go a
2: good little while before I, you know, I'm, I'm a truck driver. Right. And I go a good little while before I crank a car. Yeah. Hey, uh,
0: how would you crack Man, that's a good question, Emily. And that's the worst possible thing you can do is to just let a car sit like that. Sometimes you have to do it because just the way things are. But really, a car should be started no less than two to three times a week and run for 20 to 30 minutes each time it's started. Because if you just start it and let it sit there and idle in the driveway, you're doing absolutely no good because the engine's not turning fast enough to get to full temperature. The alternator's not turning fast enough to put the charge back in the battery, so you're really not doing a whole lot of good. I mean, the, the answer is they need to be driven. It's just like people. You know, people are designed to move down the road and, and move around and all that. If a guy retires, he goes, sits on the couch, and just, he don't last very long. And yeah, it's sure. same, same thing with a car. They're just not designed to sit. You know, they're designed to be run. They're a machine that's designed to be operated. And the ideal, you know, is to put a couple hundred miles a week on the car, but Sometimes that's not possible when you got a lot of cars. But they yes, sir. need that. I would say no less than a couple of times a week for 20 to 30 minutes per time. Or just, I mean, so just let it idle 20, 30 minutes? I don't and think you're doing any good letting it idle. You really need to drive it, even if you got to get somebody to drive it or, or just start swapping up cars. You know, take this one one time, take that one another time. They need to be driven because if you see, an alternator may put out 100 amps, but that's at 2,000 RPM. At 600 RPM, it may be discharging. In other words, you crank that car, you pull 175 amps out of the battery to start it, and then it sits there and idles. Well, it's it's actually discharging at an idle. The alternator's not putting out enough to put that back into the battery. So if you keep doing that, you're going to run the battery dead pretty fast.
3: Mm, Yes, sir.
0: I know, I know that's not the word you want to hear, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but there's, there's I mean, no way around I it. I mean, yeah. the only other option is to just go to a full storage on the vehicles where you fill them all up with all jack them up off the ground where the suspension is hanging free and put it in a climate-controlled environment. And Yeah, 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 like you do with antique cars where they put them in a museum. I mean, you could just <laughs> yes, store sir. it, but you know, that's not practical either because you want to use the car some. So that's a real dilemma, Emily. And I know a lot, a lot, a lot of folks are in your circumstances. I got one of my good customers has about four or five cars. He has a devil keeping them all driven. He really does. And fortunately, he's retired now, so he can kind of do a little better about keeping them driven. But, yeah, you're going to have problems, things like seals leaking and all that just because seals get hard from sitting, batteries go dead, wheel bearings go bad from sitting in the same spot. Shocks and struts, Shock, struck, freeze up, yeah, sitting in the same place. Things just go bad, uh, just like a person. If he just sits around, you know, he, he's made to move around. Same thing with that car. it's made to move.
4: So if I if I could try to move him once a week, I'd be doing all right? You'd be, You'd be better, doing better, yeah. I would go
0: at least two times a week for at least 20 to 30 minutes per time, and that's driving it, not sitting either. Hey, that,
2: that's almost in five. I need to start
0: selling. <laughs> <laughs> that, sometimes, well, sometimes that's the opposite. Yeah. Just pick your favorite and keep you know, it and get rid of the rest. Put the others in circulation because yeah. – Somebody else may really, really like to have that car or may need it or need it. Man, yeah,
4: yes, sir.
1: Mm-hmm. So just
0: cranking it up and letting it sit there, it really hurt you. Not really. Yeah, you're actually discharging the, the charging system.
4: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Thank, thank you so much. All right, right. nice call, man.
0: All right. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to try to sneak one more in before the break. we got Glenn online. Good morning, Glenn.
5: Good morning, Lewis and Brian. This is Glenn from Los Angeles. How are you doing, Good morning. Hey, I'm doing great. Hey, I just wanted to say. Thank you so much for your podcast, for your website. I just wanted to tell you how much it has helped me and what a difference that it has made for me. I've gone to your website, and I've downloaded every podcast there of your show since July of 2014, and I've listened to every one many, many times. Well, and Very
3: good.
5: I just like the way you and Brian... You don't just answer calls, but you explain things. Sometimes I just feel like I'm sitting in a classroom listening (laughs) to you to explain things.
3: Well, you're very kind.
5: I also appreciate the fact that you have no bias. Well, we I've listened. Listen <laughs> I've listened to other podcasts,
3: mm-hmm.
5: and you know, callers call in and they'll say, "Oh, we recommend our sponsor's product." Right? And I wonder if you would. I wonder if you give the same answer if you didn't have that sponsor. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. That's why this show doesn't have a sponsor except for the shop. Yeah, I mean, we, we sponsor ourselves, yeah, right. and that allows us the luxury of being unbiased. Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing because I do listen to other shows, try to get ideas of how they do things better than us or whatever, sure. and. I've noticed the same thing. And, yeah, I always wondered the same. You know, if, if that weren't your sponsor, would you still recommend them?
5: <laughs> right, right. I've also gone to your website to the detailed topic section. Mm-hmm. and I've read every single detailed topic, and they have helped me so much. I can't tell you what it <laughs> – I feel like I've gained years of experience in automotive <laughs> work just by reading your detailed topics. Recently, a friend of mine came to me. And he said, I got this GM product, and I'm getting this clack, clack, clack underneath the dash. Mm -hmm. I never knew anything about the GM actuator problem Mm -hmm. until I heard your show and read your detailed topic on it. And I told him. Oh, yeah, I know what that is.
3: <laughs> <laughs> How did you know I told, that? <laughs> I,
5: I listened to Lewis and Brian. So I told him, come, <laughs> over, come over to my house, and I'll take a look at it and tell you which actuator is." He brings it over by my my house, and I uh, look at it and pinpoint the actuator. I tell him, okay, go to GM, get this actuator. Two hundred and fifty dollars. He says, oh, "Okay, it's going to take me a week or two to save up for that." Said, okay, no problem. I said, "In the meantime, don't be surprised if your car, if your air conditioning starts blowing warm it or hot." Air. It may <laughs> do. And he says, he says, "Oh, it hasn't done that." The next Sunday, I see him at church, and he comes to me and he goes, "Oh my gosh, my car is doing exactly <laughs> what you <he> said." <laughs> my friend now thinks I'm an automotive genius. There, you're your there you go. <laughs> but I just listened to the Automotive Hour. That's where I get me information <laughs> the information so. from So I just had to call and say thank you so much. You and Brian have helped me so much tremendously. I just I just had to let you know. Well, well very thank good. you. Thank we you certainly very appreciate hearing it. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you
6: later. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, got to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul, Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie.
4: (laughs) I mean my car, into AGCO for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer.
0: Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis and with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. Love to hear from you. And we've got Jeff on the line. Good morning, Jeff morning sir good morning i have an 08
5: silverado 1500 with a 5.3 liter Mm -hmm. got a coolant leak and i put a pressure test on it looks like the head gasket might be leaking Mm,
0: that would be pretty unusual where's it coming out at jeff
5: it looks like it's coming out between the head and the block
0: really it's not Uh unheard of i mean i have changed maybe one or two head gaskets over the years but we look at thousands of those it's not a common thing Uh on that Okay. I would make sure that it's not coming out somewhere and running down and just dripping in that area. Okay. Huh? Some of the most common spots that we see on those that are kind of hard to diagnose, believe it or not, is where the water pump attaches to the block. Uh-huh. Those gaskets will leak, and sometimes you can't even see them leaking there because what they'll do, they just ooze out, and they may drip down and get on the head surface and run down okay. around the head surface and run out and drip out and look like they're coming out at the head. Another place where we see a lot of leakage is those two quick connects back on the firewall uh-huh. there's two pla- plastic quick connects and if you got dual heat you'll have some Y's there no and, uh, not on a yeah. pickup truck okay the the suburban, suburban has, and the, Tahoe, has yeah. the rear heater the right. pickup trucks don't okay but they still have the plastic quick connects there. yeah those are bad bad about they leaking are. there's another one back at the intake manifold and again they can run down and drip off at the head surface i mean if it is the head leaking you know, it's possible, and that vehicle is fairly easy to pull the heads on. It's, it's a lot easier than some. Uh-huh. But, you know, I would just want to make absolutely sure what, yeah. what you might want to do because coolant can run from a long distance. Take an, There's some cooling system dye you can buy. It's a fluorescent uh-huh. dye. You add that to the cooling system, run it for a period of time, take a black light, and there's a special pair of glasses. And, I mean, you can buy all this stuff almost anywhere for probably 20 30 bucks It's not really expensive mm-hmm. stuff take that black light and go over it, and you'll see a big die trail where it's coming out and if you see it running down from somewhere else just go up to the highest point and, and look there but you know if it is the head leaking it's not the end of the world we change those heads out i guess it takes us what six, six maybe hours yeah. to, to pull a set of heads and change the gas and put them back together but on that particular truck you can take the head off without having to move the, remove the cab like you do on a Ford. Right. It's, it's real all under hood work, so yeah, it's not a an big, in, major, major deal. Yeah, the intake deal. comes off, and then the heads Ooh. are right there. Now, yeah. to get the lifters out, you the have to take have the heads gone. off. Yeah. But the you ship- shouldn't have to fool with any of that right. for a coolant leak.
5: One other thing on this, it's,
0: I lose oil
5: on it. It doesn't smoke, and yeah. it doesn't drip.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's several bulletins yeah. for that problem. Jeff, what it's doing is burning the oil internally. It's not going to smoke because the catalytic converter is going to okay. vaporize it. You, you'll never see it. I mean, even oh. if it's burning a quart all every 1,000 miles, it won't smoke. But okay. they had a lot of trouble, and there was a warranty extension at one time. I don't know if that's still in force. It's probably an active fuel management engine. Uh huh. Yeah, those are the ones that really used it the most. There's two updates that sometimes help with that. One is a revised valve cover because they were throwing so much all around the valve cover. The PC system was sucking it out and burning it in the engine. And the other one is there's a dump valve inside the oil pan where that active fuel management dumps the oil from the lifters and it could throw all up on the cylinder walls and overload the rings go to my website and just type in oil consumption or gm oil consumption on the little search bar it'll bring up an article with pictures and part numbers and everything for those two issues other than that it's just a matter of going in they really had a screw up on the piston size and the rings and all that and for a while they were re-ringing them and re you know, putting pistons and all in them at no charge, but I don't know if that's still enforced. You might just check with a dealer. How many miles you got on it? One
5: hundred sixty-five thousand. Yeah, yeah, probably probably, probably not, not
0: going to be any. You <laughs> just got to weigh out how much oil is burned. Is it really worth
5: the, right. the fix? It's,
0: Sometimes the fix is worse than the problem. You know?
5: Yeah. I, well, I was reading something. They they dis they disengage that automatic whatever fuel, fuel
0: manage At
5: mm-hmm. the fuel management. Mm-hmm. They said they, they, they bypass, disengage it or something, and that helps a little bit. But I don't know. Yeah, uh, so if I bring it in, y'all can check the coolant leak and.
0: Oh yeah, yes, sir. absolutely. Okay.
5: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, all thank you very much, all right, Jeff. All right, thanks, man.
0: Uh- bye bye. All right, two nine 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And we've got Josh online. Good morning, Josh.
3: Good morning. Yes, yes sir. Fan of the show. Thank you. Uh, I got a couple questions. Nineteen ninety eight Honda Civic, mm-hmm. three hundred thousand miles. Okay. And I it's throwing a code P 135 oxygen sensor heater mouth mm-hmm. circuit malfunction yes, sir. Mm-hmm. i've already put a new a new oxygen sensor on mm-hmm. there but it was not an original one okay uh, it was an aftermarket mm-hmm. is there a way to test that yeah. without uh, having to buy a new one
0: yeah that's fairly easy check on there all you have to do is take i mean it's just a 12 volt signal you have to know which two leads are the heater circuit but basically what the pcm does it grounds that circuit and runs voltage through it for a period of time to heat the sensor up fast enough and the odds or the things are there may be a relay in the circuit. I'm not certain. I'd have to look at a wiring diagram. It could possibly be a relay. It could be the circuit itself is broken somewhere. It could even be the PCM because a lot of times when a sensor goes out, it can knock out the PCM driver, and so it'll no longer send the ground to the circuit. But it's just a voltmeter type check. You know, Do I have 12 volts across this circuit? Yes, no. And if you've got 12 volts going to the circuit and you're still throwing a circuit code, Then the next thing would be to probably replace it with an original equipment sensor and see what happens because, you know, and and again, there's an ohm uh, reading across that sensor circuit that has to be correct. If the aftermarket doesn't meet the right number of ohms, because that's how it checks it, it runs the current through it one way and the other way and checks the resistance and makes sure, and then it's going to fire off the heater circuit. It has to heat to a certain temperature in a certain time period. It'll set that code.
3: Okay, good to know. And another question about the same vehicle. Mm -hmm. The air conditioning control, when I move the heater from defroster to air or to vent to floor, uh-huh. uh, to it does not move anymore. It just stays in the one that's blowing towards my face. Yeah. Where would I start looking at that? i tell
0: you, the first thing I would do is pull that little control panel out because, what year model is it? 98. Yeah, I think around 98 there was a problem. I think that's a cable-driven deal where you turn that little knob and it's actually pulling on a cable and I think that would break on that little control panel if I'm not thinking about the wrong car. But I know Honda had that problem on some of their models right around that time period. That's pretty easy. It just comes right out from the front. Just take it out and see if the cable's not broken loose on the end. And you could probably either order a new control panel or go to a junkyard and get one. You may even be able to reattach it or something. But I think it's like a cable driven system on the ninety eight. I don't think they've gone to actuators yet. Uh, but that, I think
3: they did. It's a button, not a not a slide lever.
0: Okay, it's not like a knob you turn or anything. No, it's just a button you press. Okay, for mode, if it yeah. is an actuator, it's most likely going to be what they call the mode actuator, and Honda usually calls it an air mix motor or something. They don't call it an actuator, but that it would either be that or again the control panel. And again, it takes some fairly sophisticated equipment to test that. If you got a Honda scan tool, you can go in, command it to move, and see if it moves. And if it doesn't, then you know it's the actuator. If it does, then you know it's a control panel. But lacking that, because most of that stuff is a digital signal. It's going to be a pulse width signal. It's not going to be a 12-volt or 5-volt or reference type thing. So it be a little difficult. It might pay you, other than just kind of looking and seeing what's there and see if you can see anything, it'll probably pay you to have someone with a Honda scan tool diagnose it for you, even if you want to do the work yourself. It's, it's fairly easy to repair and replace it actuator if that's the case
3: okay thank right. you very much for uh, that information
0: all right man thank you bye-bye all one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to part of the automotive i would love to have you and just for all the calls we were talking a little bit about heaters, heaters right stuff like that and you know we talked just a bit about the history of heaters where they just didn't have them in cars because people didn't drive as much they didn't drive as far so it was well, considered to be a luxury item. Right. I mean, when cars came out, everybody was riding a horse. You didn't go that far on a horse right. during the day. So as the, the buggy came along and then the horseless carriage came along, you still didn't travel that far. So you were in the vehicle not near enough to really even need a comfort system in it. Right. Well, a long trip might have been 20 miles because that's about as far as a horse could go in a day. Right. And so that was how people traveled. That's how far things were apart. You know, if you went to the next town, it might have been 20 miles. And, and But the, people didn't get in there and go 500 miles like they do now. Right. And that's how the air of car got used. hmm So, I mean, nowadays, when you're getting in a car and you're driving long distances and you're going to different areas of the country, you may leave New Orleans where it's 70 degrees and very comfortable, drive up to Virginia where it's 30 or 20 degrees. In and, one day. In one day. That's correct. And so a heater becomes more of a necessity to you. Sure. Or, or certainly a very, very nice thing to have. Now, things that can go wrong with heaters you know, back when they first started coming out with heaters even a t-model ford had coolant right which was hot so most of the heaters ever developed were hot water type heaters correct water circulated through a little heat exchanger a fan of some type blew blue air, air through it, it which warmed the car uh, about the only vehicles i can think of that operated differently were the Volkswagens and the porsches with the air cooled engines right they had an air cooled engine so it didn't have coolant so they just used the heat off the exhaust. They picked As it up with a With a heat fan. exchanger, and uh, that did the same kind of a job. My opinion didn't work very well, no. but they did offer some heat in the car. That's better than having nothing at all. Well, that's right. But with a hot water type heater, it's prone to all the problems that every part of the cooling system is, and that is where the coolant ages. See, coolant, and I know we've talked about this before, uh-huh. but not only does it protect. From freezing. That's one function. That is a function of specific gravity of the coolant. And that coolant can be almost completely depleted, and the specific gravity doesn't change a great deal. Right. So if we took 10 year old coolant and tested it for specific gravity, it would probably still protect down to 10, 12 degrees right. without freezing. So people might say, well, it's good. But like we said so many times on this show, one test is not all the tests. Exactly. Where you get into trouble with coolant is that the pH changes. And brand-new coolant is going to have what they call reserve alkalinity. It's made alkaline because everything in the combustion process makes it acidic. Correct. So brand-new coolant might be up with a pH almost to 8 somewhere. Or or above. Or possibly above, depending on who manufactured the coolant and how it's made. As it starts to age, that coolant's going to start to drop. I mean, the pH is going to start to drop. When it gets down to seven, it's now neutral. All of the reserve alkalinity has been used up. Now, neutral is not doing any damage per se, but it's not long going to drop a little bit below that. And when it does, it's acidic. Now we've got acid on dissimilar soft metals, so it starts to eat the system up. It wasn't that big a deal back in the day because you had a cast iron engine block. You had cast iron heads. You had a brass radiator. It wasn't... As destructive as it is today. These were not active metals. These were all very, very heavy-duty inert metals, and they were very, very thick. Cars today use a huge amount of aluminum just because it's light and it's easy to form, it's easy to work with for the car manufacturers. Aluminum is a very soft and highly active metal, unlike copper or brass or Mm -hmm. cast iron. So when you get an acidic liquid with an aluminum radiator or aluminum heater core or aluminum cylinder head, the amount of damage can just be astronomical and very, very, very rapid. Let's go to our phone line. We've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry.
4: Good morning, fellas. I've got a 2011 Toyota Sequoia with the platinum trim, mm-hmm. and it's got the seat, the driver's seat, driver's seat memory button. And my position is all the way back. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I've got it set. We go somewhere, get out, come back and it has moved the seat up about two inches, Mm -hmm. what is wrong
0: there? Well, it could be any number of malfunctions, Terry. Most of those modules have a default position. In other words, they have to put something in there as the standard default position. And when anything malfunctions in the system and it doesn't know where the seat is or whatever, it may revert to the default position, which is where you're going right now. Now, unfortunately, there's probably 200 things that could cause that. Any type of a loose wire or somebody shows something on the seat and unplugged one of the wires or, or messed with one of the wires, an actuator that is going bad where it's not reporting back the exact position of the seat. I mean, any number of things can cause that. Have you had the battery replaced recently in the car? Uh,
4: it has been replaced. We bought it
0: uh, second-hand. But not recently. No. Because a, a disconnecting the battery can also confuse that module. And sometimes you have to go through a relearn procedure on it. Or if the battery went dead, it can do the same thing. Or maybe a loose cable could or, be dirty, a, a loose or cable. dirty battery cable. Check. I mean, the things you could check yourself or yeah. look at the battery. Make sure there's no corrosion on your terminals. Make sure the terminals are tight enough where you can't move them by hand at all. And if they're nice and clean and the terminals are tight, then you probably got a problem in that module somewhere. Not necessarily the module itself. But anything in the electrical system that causes the voltage to go up or down, even a bad alternator, can cause those modules to lose what they call home position. And so they're going to revert back to their default when that happens, and which is going to move the seat and aggravate the devil out of you. You might just look in the owner's manual. Sometimes they'll put a learn procedure in the uh, manual, sometimes not. Just look under power seat and see if there's anything. And sometimes as okay. simple as getting in there, turning the key off, turning it on, run it all the way back, run it all the way forward, and then you know, turning it off and it'll relearn. It it learns the range okay. again. If it doesn't have anything like that, you're probably gonna need to take it in to someone who's got a Toyota scan tool that can get into the body mod. Right, get into the body mod. It doesn't have to be a Toyota dealer. You know, we've got Toyota scan tools as most good shops do. And they can read what the computer's commanding, because it's a little computer module that runs all that, read what the module's commanding, read what the seats are seeing. Something between the seat and the module is losing track of where the seat is, so it's moving back to default. Got it. Eventually, it'll probably go out on you, and, you know, right now it's just more of an annoyance. might be as simple as reprogramming it.
4: Okay. One more question. Y'all do some... Custom fabrication type work But I don't live near you So mm-hmm. this is just a Could it be done That seat doesn't Also Those vehicles are, are So large But the seat doesn't go back far enough mm-hmm. I am mean, just
0: 5'11 Yeah big guy Okay
4: So How much trouble do you think it would be To have somebody Custom Do some custom work And, and Fabricate something Or do whatever it takes To Where that seat would go back Another two inches
0: It wouldn't be the end of the world. I mean, it it would take some time. Anytime you're doing custom work like that, number one, you have to remove the seat, remove the carpet and all that. And then you have to fabricate something to do it all. So it's kind of time-consuming, and obviously time is money in a shop. And you want someone who knows. You wouldn't want to go like, just a welder because he's used to welding stuff, but, I mean, he may burn, you know, big holes in the floor or something. Who knows? You want somebody with some finesse, someone like a body shop or something like a frame and chassis type shop. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It could certainly be done, but I would expect probably a few hundred dollars to do something like that just because it is time consuming. If I was going to do okay. it, I'd go after the track instead of the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, take the seat out, modify the track itself instead of modifying the vehicle mm-hmm. floor. And that okay. way you can get the seat out of the vehicle so you don't burn the vehicle up. And you can cover the seat so you don't burn the seat up. Right. You can do all your work out on the bench, bring it back, drop it back in the car. save some time. And then if you ever got ready to take it out, all you have to do is take that modification out, bolt it right back to the floor in the original place, and Mm -hmm. you're done. So I mean, it it, it could certainly be done, but it's going to be kind of a specialty.
4: Okay, I appreciate it. All right. All All right.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our second quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more.
5: shop tomorrow. I'm off to AGCO for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at AGCO can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too. A general inspection each year would be
6: great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat-up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends.
5: And thank goodness for Agco.
6: Kate... Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a general inspection from AGCO can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle.
4: Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back to the Motive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We'll talk a little bit about heaters and climate control systems. Of course, we'll take a call at anything. You don't ever have to limit yourself to what we're talking about. Exactly. That day. You just present your question to us, and we'll get you to answer the best we can. And <laughs> this is the perfect time to do it. Well, there you go. And one thing that happens to heaters, if you do not change your coolant regularly enough, Obviously, one of the catastrophic failures is that it'll start to leak. Sure. And sometimes if the leak is not too severe, you'll never know it because it leaks into a little tray that operates the air condition and it just drips out on the car. So all you know is you're losing coolant. Right. You don't know where it's going. Out of the air conditioning drain. Mm -hmm. If you get enough coolant leaking out of there, it may drip on the floor and your carpet will be wet. Right. So that would be one sign. And that's one, there's a way to tell between coolant and just water. Coolant will not evaporate out of the carpet. It will stay constantly wet. Water will eventually dry out of the carpet. Right. If you have an air conditioner that's dripping in your car or maybe a window that's leaking or windshield that's leaking, that is kind of fresh water. So if you can take the car and put it under a cover and let it sit for a few days, it's going to dry out. Sure. But coolant is not going to dry out because it's ethylene glycol. The water will evaporate. The ethylene glycol or the glycol, put it that way, because it could possibly be propylene glycol, but that's not going to stay. It's going to leave an oily residue, and it's not going to go away. So a hole in the core is one of the ways that the heater core can fail. Sure. Another way is they can just plug up. Right. The corrosion builds up, and as small as the ports are inside that heater core, that's one of the first things that it plugs up. Right. It's little tiny, tiny passageways, and when those plug up, the coolant can't flow through the heater. So what happens is that You've got a core there that hot water normally runs through. It stays hot mm-hmm. unless it has a cutoff valve, which very few have any longer. Then you have an evaporator core, which is coal. And as an actuator door or cable or something that moves the door between the two to make coal and heat, well, if that door opens but that core is not flowing, it's not going to be hot. Correct. So you're not going to get hot air. And there's there's a way to tell. You can go out under the hood, find right? the two heater, co- heater core lines. One's going to be hot. One's not going to be hot. Right. And that's kind of a telltale sign yeah. of a stopped-up core. Those hoses should be almost equally hot. Correct. And if one is hot and one is kind of lukewarm or cool, then it's you know not, it's not flowing, flowing through that core. So that's one of the things that can happen. We'll talk about what you could do about that when we come back. we got to take another quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more.
6: Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Eggco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take
4: Marie, (laughs) I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the
0: place to go. Welcome back to the Automotive Hour, Brian. I got a few minutes left. We'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call two nine one sixty nine zero one Get you right straight up to us. And we were talking about heaters and creature comfort items in the car. That's right. You know where the heater core plugs up that is rel- normally going to be a relatively expensive repair because of the problem of getting to it correct now some cars are easier than others some of them you can get to them from underneath or whatever but a lot of them the dash has to come out of the car completely a lot of the newer stuff is mm-hmm. some of the older stuff the, the core was out under the hood in a box right and you could you could work on it pretty easy but you know that there are options you can try to back flush that core sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it works well the thing with flushing out the core is you have to put more pressure on it than the cooling system is designed to work with and you got to think if it's plugged it's probably corroded so there's a fairly good chance you're going to rupture the core so you have to be prepared that's the key thing i'm going to try this but if, if it the core ruptures i have to pull this dash and change this core correct or bypass the heater core and not have heat any longer so as long as you want to do it yourself and assume the risk, or go to a shop and understand, it's not their fault if that core bursts. Exactly. Because we've tried it and it worked fine. We've tried it, it just and it didn't did work at all. And we've tried it and core busted. It. Sure. So it's just sure. you have to be prepared up front. It's not one of those things where you can have someone else do it and then blame them after exactly <laughs> after the fact. So. Let's see if we can catch another phone All call right. real quick. We've got Greg online. Good morning,
2: Greg. Good morning. Good morning. Guys, I have a question in regards to an Infiniti M35. Okay. It's the second car that I have, and the problem I'm having with it is that uh, it'll crank up, it'll run, but when it gets hot, it's killed. Okay. If you go back, you try to crank it again, It sometimes it'll start, sometimes mm-hmm. it won't. Okay. But it seems to be as though when the engine gets hot, It just
0: kills. Yeah, yeah, that was a Uh fairly common problem on the Nissan and Infiniti products. The most common thing, and, Greg, I can't assure you this is it because a lot of things can cause that, but the most common thing was what they call the crankshaft position sensors. They Uh had a lot of trouble with those. I think there's two of them on the engine. And when they got hot, they'd go to open on one or both of them, and when it does, the car would die. I, I'm, I'm telling you, right, there's two camshaft sensors and one crankshaft sensor. And okay. normally all three of those were changed together because they had trouble between them syncing. Now, what I would do is I would start out by having someone scan the memory and see if it has a code in there for crank or camshaft sensor. If it does, then I would certainly go after that. Now obviously okay. a lot of other things. I mean a fuel pump can get hot and go to open circuit and lose right. fuel pressure. You'd have to have a fuel pressure gauge. It's just gonna require some testing to find how often does it occur.
3: Pretty it
0: Like every time you drive it or once a week yeah, or once a month. Or, I don't yeah,
2: I don't drive the car a whole lot mm-hmm. but lately that's been the issue with it. I'll crank it up, it'll run. And, uh, man, I let it run by 10, 15 uh-huh. minutes, and then it'll
0: kill. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, if you can do, du- yeah. if you can duplicate it easily, almost any shop could diagnose that real quickly. And, and quick means uh-huh. cheap. So, you know, it's not going to cost a whole lot to diagnose the problem rather than just throw parts at it. But because- I would probably put a fuel pressure gauge on it, see if the fuel pressure's dropping out, see if there's a code in there for crank or cam uh, sensor. If there's a code, I'd go after the code. If there's no code, I'd try to check the fuel pump first. And there's a few other things that cause as well, but that's the way you'd have to go about trying to fix that.
2: Right. And the problem has started like a year ago, mm-hmm. but it kind of went away.
0: Yeah, they'll do that. Uh, they can yeah, do that. It may go away during the cool weather. You know, like during the, the fall and the and the winter, you may not see it. And then when spring and summer comes back, it may get back again. So lots of things can influence it. The humidity, how much it's raining, and all that kind of stuff. You know, if it's an electrical issue, a lot of things are going to influence it that don't make sense to you or me. But. It makes sense to that electrical circuit.
2: Okay. I have one other question in regards to an 08 GMC Sierra Mm -hmm. with a Mm
3: 5.3.
2: I can't seem to get rid of the check engine light. It's giving me a code with the, man, it's it's something dealing with the fuel fuel system. Yeah, Yeah, probably the vent solenoid code.
0: EVAP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. EVAP vent solenoid code. Yeah, they're pretty bad about that. And most people change the solenoid because that's one of the things that can cause that problem. But we've seen a lot of times if you change that vent solenoid and the problem keeps coming back, it's probably either going to be something in the wire itself that can get cut, damaged, connector can be bad, or even the PCM itself can go bad. It just no longer sends the signal to that solenoid. Yeah,
2: yeah, because I changed and it didn't do the problem Well, see,
0: another few things, the way it knows that solenoid is not working is that it tries to draw a vacuum on the tank, and if it can't draw a vacuum, then it's going to say the solenoid is bad. But if the fuel pressure, the, the fuel tank sensor is a pressure sensor in the tank, if that sensor doesn't read, it's going to think it doesn't have a vacuum when it does. Right. So it could be that tank sensor. I Just take it. somebody that's a little bit smarter to do some diagnosis on it. But, again, it's, it's nothing that can't be fixed relatively easy.
2: Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. All, All right, right, man.
0: Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. You know, we were talking about flushing out a heater core. Right. That's right. probably not a recommended procedure. It's, it's not. But. You know, if you like you, like you were saying before, if you're willing to take the chance with the understanding that if something happens or this doesn't work, then we have to go in, right? And you know, most things you kind of hit the nail on the head there with if you're willing to assume the risk, correct? Everything is risk reward, and as if you take a larger risk, you can save money, and it's kind of like doing business with a lowest price shop or doing business with a higher price shop. The thing is, when you go to a lower price shop, you're taking more risk. Sure. And if it works out, you save some money. If it doesn't work out, then it ends up costing you more. Well, it's the same thing with everything. It's all risk-reward. But when you want to save the money, you want the reward, then you have to assume the risk. Sure. The shop can't assume the risk for you and pass on the savings to you. It's just not the way the world works. So. A lot of times you will know, we'll talk with the customer and make sure he understands or she understands we can try this. It's a kind of a risky procedure, but the heater doesn't work anyway, right? So worst case scenario, the core is going to rupture, you don't have the money to pull the dash, you can bypass it. We can it. bypass it. It doesn't work before it doesn't work after, so you're not out a whole lot, you spend a little bit of money, you risk a little money. But again, the potential savings was pretty large. Right, you still have to change the core, so you're really not a whole whole lot worse out. Now, I wouldn't spend nine hundred dollars to try something like that. Oh, no. that would be foolish. Yeah, because for maybe a little bit more, you could change the core. So again, the risk reward has to make sense, and as you save enough without risking too much, and that's something you got to kind of weigh out in your own mind. Right, and you know we run across that not only with cooling systems, with basically everything. And the thing is, when a heater core is plugged up, you got to figure that the rest of the cooling system is probably in pretty bad state of repair. Sure. And the thing to do is get that straight first because you're just throwing a band-aid. You may have if you don't straighten out the cooling system and you just put a heater core in it, next year, six months, it may be stopped up again. Well, that or electrolysis may come in and eat it up. I know we get people come in. I had a guy came in a while back and he said he had put a heater core in his Ford truck and it didn't last but about six months. And he put another heater core in and it went out again in six months. So he brought it to the shop and they told him that he had electrolysis going on. Right. They treated it the best they could and now the heater core was okay. But he was mad because his radiator went out. He says, "Yeah, they just worked on it. Now the radiator went out. Well, okay, but let's back up here. Number one, you had a bad situation to start with." You improperly repaired it twice yourself. The radiator was taking the same abuse. It's just a little bit larger. It's able to deal with a little bit more. They went in. They fixed the problem with the heater core. They maybe solved the initial thing that was causing it all. But the damage was already there. The damage was there. It just hasn't revealed itself. Yeah, so. I'll be glad to change the radiator for you, or you might go back to the same guy who did it last time at, you know, however you too Well, I just don't want to do that. so said, well, you can't be mad at him. No. He probably did a good job, did it for a reasonable amount of money. You know, things happen. It's an older car that was neglected, and I mean, you can't go that, in. You can't go in and change every part of the, the cooling system, right? Well, like I told him, I said, "Well, I may change the radiator, and next month the the water pump may go out." Sure. Are you gonna get mad at me? You know? Yeah. <laughs> because of the other option is let's change every part of the cooling system, which is gonna probably total the car. Sure. Because now Easily. we're talking about the engine and the cylinder heads and all that. You know, the thing is, you do what you can do within limits, but there's a cost potential there that starts to rise astronomically at some point and because you've had a lot of work done on a car it does not mean you're never going to have problems i mean you can buy a brand new car and have problems oh yeah i've seen it oh yeah and you know people a lot of times they'll come to us well i spent a lot of money with yeah yeah, yeah now i'm ha-. Well, okay but this is a different issue you know he didn't he fixed one expensive component but he can't prevent other things from going bad any more than you may buy a brand new car Taken in under warranty, they fix one thing and something else could break. Right. I mean, new doesn't mean it's good. It just means it's supposed to be good. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> and the and same thing with the repair. He can guarantee the repair he's made, but he can't guarantee nothing else is going to go wrong. And if you keep your cooling system in top shape, then you don't you have can, these you problems. can avoid a lot of these problems. Well, that's it. That's the whole reason behind a general inspection and doing preventive maintenance is that instead of paying to repair all these things, you're spending much less money to prevent them. Correct, and that's just the whole concept behind overall lowest cost. Let's prevent problems rather than spend money to, to fix them, treat the problems. It's just a whole lot easier and a whole lot cheaper. Cheaper. There and I see we're just about out of time. Let's go ahead and start winding it on up. I'd like, to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week, and tell your friends. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. Hey, go give us a written review if it's a positive review. It'll move us up so that when people go in and search for an automotive show, we're on We'll top. come up. Close to the top, and like yourself, I'm sure, when you search for something, you generally go through the top five or ten. You're not going to go 20 pages back. Exactly. So the higher we are in the rankings, the more people are going to listen to us, so the more we can do the show. There you go. And that's the way it works (laughs) in radio. (laughs) Hey, preceding was opinions based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.